Well, today is a special feast, the Feast of St. Joseph, and uh, we felt a little odd doing the Alleluia, but I think it's, it's legitimate. I think that we're supposed to do that, and uh, we do the Gloria, for sure, we're supposed to do that, and uh, so it's a great solemnity. We're rejoicing, taking a little break right in the midst of Lent and, and having fun with St. Joseph. Now today, in years past, last year I talked about St. Joseph in connection with the priesthood. The year before that, I spoke about St. Joseph in connection with uh, a particular aspect of fatherhood, or the importance of fatherhood. Um, today I'd like to also speak about, on that topic, St. Joseph in connection with, with fatherhood. I'm going to talk a lot about mothers. You're going to think it's a homily about mothers, but it's really not. It's actually a, a homily about fathers, and I hope that will become clear at the end. I like this passage a lot from the Gospel of Luke. Okay, kind of brings a smile to your face. This whole instant, you know, because we don't we don't get to peer into the life of the Holy Family a lot in the Gospels. There's just a little bit that's included, and so we get this little episode here when Jesus is 12 years old. And uh, the the first thing that I think of when I read this passage is. From one aspect or one point of view, you could take a kind of a pessimistic view of it and say, like, wow, <laughs> the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph were really negligent. I mean, they're taking off from the city and they're like, they're just, they travel for a whole day and they're like, la di da di da di da. And they're like, hmm, where's Jesus, by the way? Honey, where's Jesus? Um, he's not here. Where is he? Well, let's look amongst the relatives and the, and the, they, they were traveling, they traveled a relatively long distance if you're going to do it on, on camel or on mule or on foot. Um, and uh, so they they were in a huge caravan, basically. And so they, they look amongst the caravan, and he's not there. And they're like, oh! They, they go all the way back to Jerusalem and look for him. So, you know, from one aspect, kind of a pessimistic aspect, you can say, well, they're kind of negligent. This is negligent parenting going on here. Um but you know, I don't think so, though. I think that, I think there's a there's an optimistic way of looking at this, okay? And that is, it really only looks negligent in comparison to overparenting that we encounter today. Overparenting, very very common. I make fun of my my friends right now who are in the process of having lots of kids, and you know, I got some close friends, and they're they're all having little kids, and I go over, I visit their houses, and I'm like, you know. This place, I can't even move around your house because <laughs> you've got baby screen, like these fences set up between all your rooms. You've got, I can't plug in anything because you've got all the outlets totally covered up. I can't open any doors because you've got these silly plastic things on the frickin' door handles, okay? <laughs> it's like a <laughs> kid is trapped in the living room or in whatever room you want him to be in, you know? <laughs> and uh, the the big thing I was razzing some of my friends about was they even got there's a, a a baby monitor in their kid's room, and they literally not only can they hear him, they can see him. And I'm like, could this poor kid have any privacy? He's under surveillance for crying out loud. He's going to grow up with a complex. Like you can't leave this kid alone. He can't. He doesn't have any space of his own to kind of like develop and grow. I mean, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, I loved it if my parents left me alone. I'd get in lots of trouble. I'd explore things. Mom and dad didn't know what was going on. I did tons of stuff. 
I actually even, and my father listens to my homilies, by the way. Oh, you know what? I'm not going to talk about this, actually, because he listens to my homilies. So I'm going to exclude, you know, this, this pretty, this detail. But, you know, the, the parents only in the 80, in the 1980s. I'm it's not talking a long time ago, 1990s. They let their kids do stuff. And I know, I know it's because it's not a safe world and it's becoming less and less of a safe world. And so that scares parents. Um, but we really have to think all of these safety measures, you know, you can't see a kid without a freaking helmet today. He's got, they got helmets for doing anything and everything, you know. We never wore helmets when I was a kid. I'm sure it does actually help reduce the number of accidents and, and hurt and all that stuff. But And so I'm not saying take away all these safety measures. But what I'm saying is it's a moment for us to reflect. Are we overprotecting our, our children? I mean, look at this example of Joseph and Mary. They were, we know, by faith and by Scripture uh, and by, the, by our tradition, that they were perfectly virtuous, uh, the Blessed Mother in particular. Saint Joseph was right was right behind her. He wasn't quite as perfect, but he was close behind her. And uh, so they're not they're not doing anything wrong in their parenting. And they let him go and do what he was going to do. They they don't have to micromanage him and be the helicopter mother, you know. You know this all this over parenting. They weren't doing that. They were letting Jesus grow into his own space and when they find him he says do you not know that I must be in my father's house and other translations actually it's an interesting thing there's a textual issue here because other translations say do you not know that I must be upon my father's business I've got to be doing work I've got something to do so you see Jesus beginning to, to, to do that separation from his parents he's moving into his own sphere he's got a mission in life and uh, today, because of overparenting, I think there's a lot of uh, c- kids who are kind of confused. They grow up and um, they don't have a sense of strong responsibility and identity and mission in life because everything's been handed to them. Everything they've always been protected from any kind of you know conflicts. The big thing for me was when I was a teacher, very different from just only 10, 20 years before I was teaching. Anytime there's a, there was a problem with a kid in the class, it was automatically the teacher's fault. Automatically the teacher's fault. I mean, the parent came in and just says, okay, so what'd you do to my kid? You know, it's like, <laughs> um, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, it was like, a little story here. My, my brothers and I would be wrestling. It was more like my brothers beating me up, my big brothers beating me up, you know, in the living room. And uh, here I am crying, Mom, help me, help me. And, you know, I skin my knee, and, like, my mother comes around the, the corner. She's like, you two, take it outside. Take it out. You're going to ruin the furniture. Get out of here. Get out of here. I'm like, Mom, look at my knee. It's skinned. Look, there's blood, Mom. There's blood. You know, aren't you going to defend me against my brothers? And she, take it outside. Get out of here. You're ruining the furniture. She she knew it was drama. It was just drama. Can you imagine if she go, oh poor baby, Davy, Davy, poor baby, you big boy, you bad boy, to my brother? It's just too, kids being dumb, and she didn't baby me, and we took it outside or whatever we did, you know. And I lived. The skin knee didn't kill me. We got to give 
kids the space to like fall down, get hurt, and learn and move out into the world on their own. Now, you know, there's a nice passage here from a book. It's uh, on mothering, actually. Strong mothers, strong sons. It's, it's this nice book written by actually. A, she's not a psychologist, but she's a, a medical doctor, and she's got she's got good perspective on things. She says that she uh, this author here, this is Meg Meeker. Um, she she met a priest. Um, and this is probably in Washington, D.C., who she was really impressed with. You know, this is a really good priest. And so, uh, and, and everybody in the parish knew that this priest had a good relationship. It's kind of a special relationship with his mom. And so he always wondered, like, what, you know, t- tell me, you know, how your mom raised you. And this is one thing he said. I thought this was really good. My mom was and is a woman who prays. She told me from the time I was a little boy that I wasn't hers. Whoa. That I belong to God. Isn't that, that's a remarkable thing, right? For a mother to actually say, you're not mine, you're God's. And he goes on, he says, I wasn't afraid of this, it made me feel safe. And the fact of the matter is, she prayed for him constantly. So he knew that she loved him. So it wasn't like a neglect, abandonment thing. But she had a healthy sense of boundaries that this is a son that God has given to me. Ultimately, he belongs to God. And he's got to come into his own sphere of activity. Every every child, but especially a son, there's there comes a, dis, a time when he's got to really leave the world of mother and he's got to enter into the world of his own manhood and the world of the father in particular. And mothers can hinder that by, number one, speaking disrespectfully of father in the presence of kids. Number two, doing things that the father really needs to be the one who does them, you know, in relation to the children. Okay. Another story from that book. I found this one pretty pretty amazing. There was a hard relationship between a mother and a father, and the kids, you know, were stuck in the middle of it. I think there was a separation that took place at one point, unfortunately. And uh, as as the kids grew up, this one son, uh, one of the children in particular, he uh, he was like in his 30s or 40s, and he went and he hadn't seen his father for years, and so he tracked him down and and like went right to his door, knocked on his door. Father opened up the door, and the first thing the kid said to him, and this is not an exact quote, but it's something like he said something to the effect of, "Dad, no longer do I have mom's opinion of you." I've got my own opinion of you. And oftentimes when there's this kind of a conflict between the parents, the mother can swoop in and basically take the children, they're my children, not yours, and she'll create a framework within which the children view the father. And it's it's her framework. She doesn't allow them to have a relationship with the father uh, and to come to their own opinion about him. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. And when the son said that to the father, the father who hadn't seen his son in years broke down and just started profusely weeping because that's what he had felt, his whole relationship with his kids, that he didn't have any connection with them. They didn't really think about him except through the opinion of their mom. And uh, so... This is the this is the thing though. Moms want to do the best that they can do with uh, in, in in relation to their kids, and it's 
oftentimes the dad's fault because the dad is passive and not involved in the kids' lives. And when that happens, the mother feels like she's got no other choice but to swoop in and basically do the stuff that well, that really only dad can do. So that's why I said it seems like a homily about moms, but it's really about dads. It's dads neglecting to be in their kids' lives in a constructive, strong way, especially in the area of religion. Fathers not being in their children's lives in the area of religion is a serious problem. Uh, but today, to not end on a negative note here, on a positive note, we look to St. Joseph. We look to St. Joseph. Um, you know, it says in our first reading that that uh, the son of David will build a house for the name of God. That's the temple. So that's the mission of the Messiah, is to build a house, to build a temple of God. That's what Jesus did. He built the temple of God. We are the temple of God. He built it. That word build, though, has to do with, you know, when it says in the Gospels that St. Joseph is a carpenter, when it says that Jesus is a carpenter, that word carpenter also means, or could be translated, builder. Where did Jesus learn how to build the temple of God? He got it from St. Joseph. St. Joseph was a strong presence in his life. Uh, such that Mary didn't have to do everything that St. Joseph was, was supposed to be doing. St. Joseph was present, was there for Jesus, and Jesus moved into his vocation and his calling as Messiah, uh, in part at least, uh, at a human level, because of the fathering, the responsible fathering of St. Joseph. So today, my brothers and sisters, the family that's in a great crisis, there's so many problems, parenting is harder than it's ever been before, don't mean to pick on parents, um, you know, it's it's very challenging. But so this is not a rebuke; it's a it's a call for prayer. Let's pray, please, for families and especially for fathers. And today, with being the feast of Saint Joseph, we've got his special intercession on our side. So Saint Joseph, please pray for families, pray for children, and uh, pray for fathers in particular.